This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Why does the youth feel the need to escape the challenges of life? Why does anxiety and depression in young adults seem to be rising rapidly? Why are young adults feeling less connected than ever? Why do millennials have the stigma of a generation that wants everything handed to them? Why do the qualities that make us great seem to be crumbling? The generations growing up in the digital age are presented with unique challenges, and Ty Gamble provides solutions from first-hand experience. Ty provides tools for both emotional and physical healing, so you can step into the light as the most powerful you. His work is mostly geared toward young men on the topics of sexuality, dating, and masculinity. However, much of its principles will remain true for all walks of life, regardless of age or gender. In his story, Ty discusses ways in which he overcomes a myriad of challenges he faced growing up, including chronic pain syndromes, anxiety, depression, sexuality, dependence and abuse of drugs and alcohol, and much more. He was able to step into personal power and overcome obstacles, and you can too. Ty discusses at length how societal implications have shaped our youth's minds in both positive and negative ways, and how we can overcome our faulty mental programming. Valeria Tellis interviews Ty Gamble, the author of The Millennial Man, From Darkness to Light. Ty Gamble is a life and health coach, published author, and former Division I athlete in cross-country and track and field. He was born, raised, and currently resides in Long Island, New York. Growing up, despite having what he would describe as a phenomenal upbringing, he faced psychological challenges that would define his adolescence. However, as time moved forward, Ty began realizing many of his issues uniquely connected to growing up in what he calls the millennial era or the digital age. After coming up with solutions that would alter his life, he felt he could use what has worked for him to impact the lives of countless others that have experienced similar challenges. Here is the interview with Ty Gamble. In your own words, who is Ty Gamble? 
Sure. So let me give you a little background on who I am personally before we go forward. Um, I'm 25 years old, going on 26 in the upcoming months. I'm not a doctor. I haven't done any independent research or anything of that nature. But what I can say is that I've been through quite a bit of personal psychological struggle. And I've grown up battling through limiting belief systems that created the life of anxiety, depression, chronic pain syndromes, and addictive tendencies. Um, the boldest example I can give you was when I was 18, I crashed my car drunk. And this was the first of a few instances that really, uh, for lack of a better word, woke me up. And through my mental challenges and overcoming them, I've identified my negative habits and have adjusted my mind to the point where my life is altered. So who Ty Gamble is, is someone who's trying to help people shift their lives in a positive way, much like I was able to do. And through the methods I've worked through and have adapted, um, adopted, I believe people can do these things and commit to this way of thinking, and it can work for them as well. That sounds really great. I have um, lots of questions for you here on that, on what you of do course. and how you do it. How did you do it? So for now, I have a few warm-up questions uh, before we talk about your book, The Millennial Men, From Darkness to Light. So my first warm-up question is, what is life? What is life to you? That's a great question. Uh, to me, it's the great unknown. So life is consistently evolving and changing. And, you know, we really have no idea what's around the corner. And those ups and downs we experience are what life is really about. Uh, life is so unpredictable in nature. And to me, that's what makes it exciting and makes us human. And when I was able really to sit down and understand the own context of my life, I learned that I have no idea what's going to happen in the now or the future. And that's a key principle I use to live my best life. What do you think is the opposite of life, Ty? The opposite of life would be to live within a fear-based lifestyle. So anything that we're coming from where our paradigm is from fear, to me, that's going to limit any possibility of living life to our absolute fullest. So I would say living from a fear-based mindset, that's the polar opposite of living a true happy life. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom is to live life on your own terms. And that's how I live my own life. I look to create personal freedom every day. And to me, that means sticking to my own principles and living life as who I am, not as anybody else is or as anybody else wants me to be, but by my own terms. Wow. I love that, the way you connected freedom to authenticity, being who you are with yes. no apologies. <laughs> right. No question about it. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? Oh, I love that question. The ability to see a greater vision for the world, in my opinion, than what has been. So a lot of us are stuck in old ways and old belief systems. And, you know, just because something's old doesn't necessarily make it bad. You know, much of what we understand is ancient wisdom. But I think we have to start questioning what is and be willing to see a future past what is currently in front of us in order to grow as a society. So I would say the world's greatest need is be able to see past what we have and have the courage and conviction to believe in a better life. Yeah. What is love to you? Love is our natural state. It's the passion of being alive and feeling full acceptance of self and others, period. What, where, and who is God to you? To me, 
It's quite undefined in my life. So I'm a big believer in a higher power and having the conviction to believe in that myself um, helps drive me to great heights in my own life. But to me, I live my own life as if heaven is earth. And that's how I look at my world and my life on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, I know I pray and I know that one day, you know, the afterlife is waiting. But to me, God in my life is really the existence of being human. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? I do, because I don't think they necessarily need to intertwine. Um, I have no problem with religion whatsoever. And I believe it's fantastic for a civilized society to have religion. But I don't think we need to be a religious person to be spiritual. And I believe that in my own life. I feel I'm a quite spiritual human being, even though I don't necessarily uh, go to church on a regular basis or what have you. I believe I'm a spiritual person. And I think a lot of people would agree with me um, when they say that they might be spiritual and not necessarily religious. So I don't necessarily believe they connect. I have two more warm-up questions. Um, what do you think is the purpose of life? That's a great question. Um, to me, it's the journey and the struggle. First in the journey, you know, there's really no destination that I see other than continually experiencing what is. So every step of the way, we must experience and appreciate it. And when I say struggle, uh, I believe striving for goals and facing adversity head on truly creates purpose and strength for humanity. And I believe as humans, each of us have a unique ability to overcome and improve in any way that we can. Oh, I love that. What do you think is the main purpose of your life? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question as well. In my own life, you know, I look at trying to find a way to motivate, inspire, and instill self-belief in others and help others truly love themselves. There's nothing better to me than motivating someone to achieve what I know to be within them. And I love this because I do this in my own life. And, you know, I'm not doing anything for these people that they haven't already had within themselves. I look to do this by not only sharing wisdom, but also setting an example. So I look to live my life in a way that motivates and that inspires and with passion. How wonderful. Thank you. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration, intention of writing your book, The Millennial Man, From Darkness to Light? Yeah, yeah. So for a long time, I saw some interesting developments with our youth in Western civilization, um, particularly young men. And frankly, it had me concerned. I wrote this book because I felt the problems I dealt with uniquely connected to the issues of young people and young men in Western civilization. Um, as we see, the suicide rates skyrocketing, violence, depression, anxiety, Uh, sexual dysfunction, you know, I could go down the line. And regardless of gender, you know, we're all going through similar challenges, but I mostly examine men because I am one and because I believe I've seen some key principles and pieces in the puzzle to help young men step into a life of confidence, resilience, self-worth, and true self-acceptance, um, all of which we're lacking so much in today. And I realized there was a lot of other people going through this stuff and it wasn't just unique to my experience. Um, the millennial programming seems to have created some very limiting mindsets. And there's common denominators here that I have personally experienced. So I really felt I had a message to share 
and to give the world the knowledge that I use to overcome my own challenges. That is really amazing. You have so much wisdom. And a lot of times people kind of relate uh, wisdom to age. When we get old, really old, we become wise. But it's not the case at all here. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you saying that. I always try to preface that I'm on the younger side because it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear a perspective from someone who grew up in the millennial generation. Um, so your work, it's tailored to um, young men, only young men or women could benefit from it too, from the messages? Great question. So I truly believe there are a lot of what I would describe as universal truths. And there are a lot of messages in my book that women could 100% benefit from. Um, I just preface that by saying that um, there are parts of my book that are geared towards young men because I don't want people to believe that the book is entirely ambiguous with who it's written to. Um, there are messages that are directly towards young men, but the entirety of the book, I assure you that I believe anyone can benefit. I've had fathers who are and mothers who of these children who say, wow, I learned so much about myself. You know, I believe that really anyone who picked this book up could benefit. Right. Because wisdom, I mean, the wisdom you talk about, it's really timeless and genderless, really. Absolutely. In my opinion. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question before we move on with the other, the other ones. Um, when you say millennial, what, what do you mean exactly? Oh, I love that question because it, it really needs to be clarified. Um, so my definition of millennial, I'm not using the phrase to describe directly someone born between 1981 and 96, which is the strict definition. When someone in the media or society complains about quote unquote millennials, they're talking about anyone who's in their mid 30s and younger generally. And that's who I'm really talking about when I'm referring to millennials. One of the questions I have here is about the illusion of perfection, perfectionism. Talk to me about that and how it affects young people and also feeling inadequate. Why does it happen? That's a great question. So firstly, the view that we're inadequate. I believe the feeling is due to life views and wrongly placed expectation. So they, a lot of the time, the millennial mindset expects linear paths, easy lives, perfection, filtered lives, and that's nowhere near reality. Um, life isn't linear. The world is nowhere near predictable or perfect. We can't have everything in life, and we can't expect to be given anything. Right. Uh, to me, the person that really will have a great life can flow with the motion of what's occurring and doesn't expect predictable or perfection. Um, doesn't mean we don't have goals or motivations. It's, it's far from it. Um, goals and motivations really drive society. What it does mean is that when we expect something to occur and then it doesn't, it creates a whole lot of psychological damage. And expectation is very different from belief. Belief is in the self, while expectation is an attachment to a singular outcome. And if we're attached to a singular outcome and it doesn't work out, then it leads to problems in the psyche. Attachment to a perfect situation and a desired outcome is what creates the illusion of failure. So I'm wondering what the causes or the influences, uh, what influences this kind of mindset, someone to have this kind of mindset? Sure, sure. So what I describe um, at length in the book is delusions of grandeur. And I believe that's influenced us quite a bit. Although, you know, possibilities are endless for each human, we all know that and we, we try to embrace it. I believe there's become an unreasonable expectation on looks, finances, and overall lifestyle. Um, believing you can be great is amazing, but 
I see an entire generation has been led to believe in a highly specific image of perfection and happy endings without struggle or challenge and without true intrinsic belief in themselves. Now, it's kind of expected to be handed on a silver platter. And if they don't achieve this picture-perfect life, it's considered a failure. And, you know, as impressionable as we were forever, you know, watching television for the last 50 years, um, I believe it became even more so when social media arrived. And the next thing you knew, everyone looked at on social media, everyone we looked at on social media was always smiling, more attractive than us, um, doing more exciting activities than us, had more money. And at least it, it appeared that way. And we wonder what we were doing wrong and why we weren't these people. And after we repeated the same image over and over in our minds, the message became clear. This is what success looks like. Success is to be beloved by the masses, to be worshipped by millions, to be revered. And this is something we all know on a conscious level we don't need. Um, but we've been indoctrinated into these beliefs over time and time again. And now we remain stuck in old programming where nothing seems to be quite good enough, only because our comparisons are up against the otherworldly. Wow, that is so true. So actually, I don't have a lot of information about how many people watch TV. I don't do it myself for many years. So and social media, you know that. But from your perspective, um, do you see that happening a lot? We have this huge percentage of young people watching television still. Sure. I think it's more social media based. If you go back to people who are, are closer to the 20 to 30 range, um, I believe they more so grew up with the television based mindset. Um, but as we've gotten, gotten older, you know, social media has kind of permitted into society for the last 10 years or so. And they've really impacted the people who are give or take 10 to 20 right now. Um, or 15 to 25, I think the 25 and up can speak to more so the pressures that were relayed through TV in the early ages of social media. Um, but I would say social media itself has clearly had a tremendous impact on society. So let's talk about fear, because all this goes back to um, the deep fears, right? We have. Of course. Talk to me about fear and how it impacts and limits us. And also, maybe before that, tell me what your definition of insanity is. Oh, great question. So first off, my definition of insanity, and many of your uh, viewers may have heard this before, um, which is to do the same thing over and over again and to expect different results. So I think many of us in today's society are stuck in that paradigm, um, and mostly it comes from thought patterns that are repeatedly the same, and we expect to change. And that's not really a way to look at the world um, and to expect to have a better life. If we don't change what we're thinking about and change how we view our thoughts, uh, most importantly, how we view our thoughts, then we will not be able to change. So regarding fear, fear is actually the driving factor and driving force behind many of these behaviors. Uh, fear of failure, fear we won't be loved by society and our community, um, fear we will be judged, fear of being inadequate is really at the root. And these fears drive our thought patterns and our self-defeating behaviors. And what we have to remember is that there will never be an absence of fear. But if we find mechanisms to move through fear, and create habits of objectivity when we're able to view fear, it will be much less likely that the fear brain governs our lives. And this part of the brain that keeps us in the comfort zone, keeps us from stepping into life, and it'll keep us inevitably from growth if we aren't able to objectively 
understand it and accept it. And then once we do that, its power will be diminished. Right. And I have some questions here for you on how we can do that and change the mindset or we start to become more aware. Um, but before that, let me explore some of the, the consequences and the issues that this kind of mindset mm-hmm. can cause of fear-based, as you say. So one is uh, how does it affect our relationships? The first relationship we have is with ourselves. So how does fear affect a relationship with ourselves and also sexuality? This is something that you mentioned in your book. Sure, absolutely. So first off, the relationships with ourselves uh, really stems back to a view of that we are inadequate and that we have to be perfect, which is so far from reality. And we really have to be able to, as a whole, accept the self. And the relationships these men and people in general have with the self right now is more of a relationship as if we are lacking, that we're not good enough, and that we have to consistently prove our worth, which really is so far off what reality is. You know, each of us have a very different life to live, very different path, yet we're comparing to each other and we're looking for this view of perfection that truly does not exist. So that's really the problem at hand as far as the relationship with ourselves. As far as sexuality goes, I really like to talk about it because I believe it's a microcosm of where society is at um, across human history. And as far as relationships go, um, the men in particular that I analyze are incredibly concerned with what people think of them and making sure they do the quote unquote right thing, which, by the way, is very different from being a good person. It's actually more of the trying to be perfect, which, as we discussed, is not a real way of being. When we are stuck in our heads and always trying to be perfect, it's very difficult for us to do instinctual activities and to listen to our gut, hence making something instinctual like dating or sex very challenging. Um, And for Western society at large, we seem to be stuck in our heads in all aspects of our lives, um, constantly overthinking and unable to get into the body. So I look to teach strategies to remove the mind-body blockages, um, get into the senses and quiet the ever-talking brain that tells you you need to be perfect or else you're inadequate, which is nonsense. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, let's talk about one of the methods, yeah, the methods that you use, meditation, visualization, meditation being one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's very important, um, as I alluded to earlier, that we have the ability to view a life that's better than what we currently have and view a future better than what we are living right now. Um, I'm a big believer in living in the present moment, but what visualization allows you to do is to picture that life outside of what you currently have and strive towards a goal and towards motivations. And with visualization, I really believe you need to feel deep within your bones that this is something you are capable of and that we are capable of. When we're visualizing in our minds, we need to really feel that this is something that's going to happen. So I'm a big believer in visualization techniques to move our lives forward because without being able to see a life greater than what we have, you know, that's what makes us human. And that's how society has advanced for so long. Yet so many of us think we are incapable of growth and it couldn't be further from the truth. So I think visualization is a tool for us to really um, access what makes us human. How many minutes should people meditate? Sure. So meditation in general, I think at minimum uh, 10 minutes a day. And I don't like to tell people to sit down for hours on end 
because I know that can't be feasible sometimes. But to be mindful of our own environment, it really only takes a few minutes a day to really change the way your mind operates. So if we just sit down for about 10 minutes a day doing meditation of any form, truly any form, uh, we will grow mentally, physically, our lives will change. And at least I've seen that to be the case in my life and the people around me and my clients. And I believe it can work for anyone. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, have to use the absolutely. word God here. Um, yes. I should say love. <laughs> and I love that. And that's so true. I absolutely love the way you write about that we have, we must love and accept who we are inside and out. It makes sense. It's just common sense. So are you talking about unconditional self-love in a way? I am. I am. And that doesn't mean that I expect people to always love themselves because I know it can be hard and we're training ourselves really on a daily basis to accept who we are. But when I view self-acceptance, I view being able to look ourselves in the mirror, warts and all, pains, struggles, and say, this is the person I want to be. And this is the person I will always be. Um, you know, I've I've heard people say before that they can't necessarily accept themselves in all circumstance. And it takes time. I get it. It takes time. But in reality, you know, if you can look yourself in the mirror with all your pains and struggles and say, that's the person I want to be, then you're accepting who you are. Right. And it's a practice, right? I like the self-love. I mean, anything in life or what I see, it's a practice. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You talk about how weightlifting specifically is a powerful tool to, to train not just the body, but the mind. Talk to me about that. Yes, I love that question because I'm really such a believer in physical activity and pushing the boundaries um, out of our existence. And this is exactly what that does. So much of my mindset grew out of being a track and field runner and then moved into being a weightlifter. But for me, you know, doing power exercises where I'm really pushing myself and mentally my mind is telling me, um, you should stop, you know, you should, you should end this workout. And it goes back to the old cliches, but when your mind is telling you that you should go backward, I'm always telling myself one more rep, two more reps, and it's training my mind to become more calloused over time and just stronger and more powerful in the face of adversity. Like we're willingly facing pain when we lift, we're breaking down our muscles and willingly walking into a situation where we will be in a lot of pain and we'll push our bodies to an extent that, you know, people didn't feel was possible a short time ago. It was definitely myself, you know, coming from all the pain syndromes I dealt with in my life. And you know, I really took that as an opportunity to rebirth myself. And through lifting, I really find we can hone the power of the mind and just become so much more calloused through the challenges of life. Yeah. Do you also include diet? Sure, sure. Of course. Um, I didn't really necessarily make any suggestions for nutrition in my book, but I'm a huge believer in what we eat becomes who we are. And, you know, I'm always trying to make sure in my own life, I'm eating as cleanly as, as I possibly could. Um, diet is so unique to the individual. So, you know, I like to have dietary advice cater to who I'm speaking to. But as far as in my own life, um, I'm always making sure that I'm eating 100% organic, high vegetable, high, high protein, high fruit diets. And I'm taking care of my body in every way I possibly can. 
Right. What about writing and journaling? Do you also um, recommend that as, um, as a method of getting to know ourselves better and become more aware? I do. And it's actually also a great tool for release. Um, if you read my book um, to any of the viewers, you will be able to tell that I write with so much passion. And that passion comes from me spilling out who I am to the paper. You know, I really speak my truth. And that's what's amazing about writing is that we can really release pains that have been within us for so long. And I think it's such a great tool that keeps us kind of focused on the self, but at the same time, releasing the things that have been in our mind for so long. So I, I'm a big believer in writing as a therapy, and as a tool to let go of the pain. Yeah. What are the other tools that you suggest and use with your clients, Ty? Sure, absolutely. So one thing I really like to talk about, and we have mentioned it lightly through this discussion, is being able to view the thoughts objectively. So being able to grasp that for one, most of our thoughts are inaccurate and are really lying to us. Um, and yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it can so be true. tough to understand sometimes, but we, you know, when we're able to look objectively, we, we do see that much of our thoughts are essentially garbage. And I highly recommend and teach my clients and my readers to become the meditator of the mind. And I don't ask them to sit on the mat for five hours a day, but when I say the, become the meditator of the mind, I mean integrating meditation and viewing the mind into daily living, um, not shifting life to be easier to meditate. So, for example, something that um, a great mentor of mine taught me was to be able to view my ruminating thoughts and write them down. And once I realized that there were so many limiting, limiting thoughts coming out, on a consistent basis because I had to write them down and keep track of them, I was like, wow, this is much more out of control than I thought it was. And I saw the absurdity of many of them. So being able to put it on paper, kind of similarly to how we discussed with releasing our pains when we write, um, being able to put it on paper and see them for what they really are is like, wow, I'm so much stronger than what these thoughts tell me I am. There's such nonsense half the time. And it's just repeated negative messages that we've held within ourselves for so long. That's amazing how many constructed ideas we have on about our own selves. No question. Yeah, and by writing, that's so true. We are able to see that. And like you would call it the lie that we've been telling our own selves. No question, yes. Talk to me about the passive man. What is the passive man? Oh, I love that question. The passive man is so interesting because... First off, the passive man is who I was. So the passive man is really prevalent, especially in 2020, and it's who I work with the most. So when I say passive, I don't mean laid back and chill. Simply put, these men are symbolic of the epidemic of the over-analytical thinking mode. Passive in this context means a life of heavy thinking but low levels of action, um, a life of anxious behavior that keeps us in the proverbial comfort zone. So for example, many of them are stuck in consistent forms of escapism that keep them within this comfort zone, such as video games, constant TV use, social media, um, drug and alcohol dependencies, um, action paralysis, anxieties, and fears of the unknown. So what I find to be very universally important with the passive man is that this is a life paradigm that stems from beliefs of inadequacy, 
and is symbolic of the over-analytical, overthinking complex that so many of us are stuck in in 2020. Speaking of 2020, do you think the situation, the current situation is affecting us in a perhaps positive way? I really think it is. Yeah, I really think it is. It's uh, allowed many of us to view our lives in a different perspective. You know, um, for those of us that aren't going through health challenges, and I, I pray any of your listeners aren't, but, you know, for us who are just kind of having to take a step back in life and go through this time of breakdown where, you know, things are kind of crumbling and the lives as we knew weren't as safe as we thought, um, this gives us perspective to live our lives to its absolute fullest. And when we're back, I think there's going to be love like there hasn't been in quite a long time. Um, I think we're all going to be so happy to see each other again, to embrace and to be able to live freely. I think that's what's coming down the pipeline. Many of us will embrace that um, to its fullest. I know I will. Yeah, I love your vision. That's a great vision. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I love also what you said in your book. There's a passage uh, that you say, there's no success without an element of failure. No question. So this is very powerful because so many of us don't even try anything new because we're afraid to fail. How did you overcome your own fear of failure? That's a great question. I really had to contextualize it differently. So as you said, um, and I really like to discuss this often, is success does not exist without an element of failure and without challenge. Um, there's always going to be hardship. And I really like to go within the recesses of a dark moment and use it to my advantage. I think it's uniquely something that people can hold on to and create a successful life with. They say that the number one quality of successful people is perseverance. And I believe that's accurate. You know, it's not smart. It's not anything about a college degree. It's about being able to persevere through pain. And I like to use pain to fuel me. And I know not everybody likes to use it in that way, but I think we have to contextualize our situations and be able to perceive them differently or else they will eat us alive. So we need to be willing to view pain and to create a completely different meaning behind it and fuel us. That's what I've done in my life, and I've found it's been incredibly helpful. Right. And perhaps the most important thing to do, as you put it, just just go through the pain without creating mechanism of escape. Um, you mentioned escapism, which I did, and so many of us do. Absolutely. So to numb the pain, which is such a dangerous um, thing to do, because then we can't find out the message, what the pain's trying to say. Yeah, talk to me a bit about escapism and resilience. Sure, sure, absolutely. I, I love to connect these two. And like exactly you said, um, we have to push through these pains without going into the escapist tactics. So anyway, escapism um, is easier now than it's ever been due to our endless access to its various forms. Um, and one of the questions I ask in my book is, how are we as young adults supposed to learn how to be resilient? When we've trained ourselves to step away from discomfort whenever we face adversity, um, which is exactly what these devices and other methods of escapism do. And I view these as kind of products of successful times as life itself has gotten so much easier. And we've never had access to escapism like we do, which truly is a side effect of advancement of society. So what I look at as is the fight or flight mode, which a lot of people discuss, 
um, in ancient times, fight or flight was reserved for lions and tigers. Now, young adults go into fight or flight mode when they ask someone out on a date. Um, so our bar of resilience, in my view, has been lowered in an easier world. And because of this, we need to be willing to enter uncomfortable situations in order to grow. Now, what does that mean? A lot of people will take it very literally. That doesn't mean jumping into the ocean with sharks or doing something <laughs> reckless, right? right. Um, what it really means is that if you want to eliminate your desire to escapism, uh, you will need to push the boundaries in your day-to-day -day life. Um, push your body physically. Push yourself mentally. Do the things in your daily life that you dread. And this will build perseverance, which, as I said, is the proven time and time again, the number one quality of successful people. And that's what we're lacking today. Um, that made me think about situations that we face daily when we are stressed or going through discomfort. We often turn to food or some other kinds of ways uh, that can, we can cope with that. So I'm wondering how do we know when we are enjoying ourselves and just creating these enjoyable moments with external things and when we are actually creating ways to escape our pain. Yeah, I like that question. Uh, to me, I believe the distinction to be made is that there will be a feeling within the body and the mind that, let's say, for example, here's a, here's a good one I think of in my own life. Um, if I had a really difficult situation where maybe when I was in college, if a really difficult test was coming up or I had um, a big interview for a job or if I had a really intense conversation coming up with a family member, friend, uh, girlfriend, whatever it may be. And in that situation, instead of thinking about it and facing it head on, um, I decided to go watch TV for five hours or go eat a ton of food. So, you know, it's really in the context of the situation. And I think many of us know which factors in our lives that we're taking overboard and that we're using to escape discomfort. Um, so that's the importance here. If we're just leisurely watching TV for an hour and we feel good and it's not a big deal, then it's not a big deal. You know, I, I'm totally cool with that. I watch, I watch sports, you know, when they were, unfortunately we don't have any right now, but I love to watch <laughs> sure. my Mets and uh, other teams when they were going. But, but, you know, we have to see it in its context in our own lives. And much of us, much of the time we know um, which ones we're using to escape discomfort. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And the more self-aware we are, the more we know when we are creating these um, imbalances. Really, the important thing is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Valeria. The, the, uh, the important thing to remember there is just to escape. If you're looking to escape discomfort, then it's a problem. Yeah. So that goes back to that honesty, being authentic and honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. then we'll know because we can ask those questions and then answer them in a very honest way, right? You're right. Absolutely. What is your ideal client? What do they look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first, I'd like to discuss who generally is contacting me as far as the client goes. Uh, so usually it's the, it's the parents, the guardians, girlfriends, spouses of these young men, um, or it's the man himself. But generally, who is the client to answer that question? Um, usually, it's young men between the ages of 15 to 30. They're dealing with challenges similar to what I discussed throughout this interview and my book. Um, but really, my only prerequisite to work with me 
um, regardless of who you are, because obviously I want to work with anyone who's willing to move forward. Uh, my one prerequisite is the genuine desire to change. That's it. As long as you have that, we're ready to go. So you just need the desire and the willpower to move forward. And I believe I can help take you there. I love that. Because we are the only ones really that can change ourselves, right? Exactly. So we need to want to change. So true. Yeah. I'm not bringing out anything that doesn't already exist. That's it. Yeah. You're being a guide, which is so wonderful. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions? I would like to uh, just talk about how my book is a tool for people growing up in the digital age. Sorry, should I elaborate? Yes, absolutely. Do you want absolutely. me to just go into it? Yeah. Great, great. So my book is a tool for people growing up in the digital age um, to understand what has held them back and has created negative belief systems that they currently have and the tactics they can use to create a more fulfilling and desirable life. So in my practice, I'm really looking to help people move past fear, as we discussed, and lean into their unique edge. So what does that mean? Mostly we live in a conformist society and most of us have negative paradigms from childhood that were formed as a means to be accepted. But it is the people that lean into their unique edge that are most attractive in life in any form. Um, I want to help people identify limiting behaviors, work past them, and then identify strengths and double down on them. And that's what it means to lean into that unique edge, double down on your strengths. Wow, that sounds really good to me. <laughs> and Absolutely. My final questions to you today: How do you define success? What is to be successful? Oh, that's a great question. I really want to redefine success as being a person who lives with honesty, contributing positively to the world, and living a life that you desire, not based on what other people want you to do, but based on what you want to do. And success for everyone will need to be categorized in its own way. But in the end. It's about living on your own terms. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, Ty? Ooh, for one, um, that life doesn't come easy and challenge is a part of growth. And as my programming led me to believe otherwise. But secondly, I would say that my belief systems were inaccurate and self-defeating and really needed to be examined and altered. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? That's a great question. That's a, that's a deep one. Uh, to me, I would say no, because I try to live my life to the best of its abilities every day. And I know that I gave my all and that's all I could ask for. You know, I don't need to travel the world in the end of the day. I just want to give my all um, in whatever I'm doing. And to me, I have no regrets. Yeah, I love that answer when I hear from my guests. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. That's when we know that they are living the, um, the purpose. For sure. Do you believe in life after death? I absolutely do. Um, as I stated earlier, I really live my life as if earth is heaven. But yeah. I truly believe that, you know, there will be a life after death. But to me, it's totally undefined. And that's how I like it. Uh, I like the unknown. So I'm, uh, I'm willing to accept that for now. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and um, my second to last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I would say, for one, our minds lie to us. Um, two, 
challenge and stepping out of our comfort zone is how we will inevitably grow. And three, I would say, although being as strong as you can as an individual is so important, ultimately, we don't have life without community and without a support system. And the community around around us really makes life worth it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your presence, and your courage. Thank you. Thank you, Valeria. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. So really moving forward, um, if you want to find me, I'll be on JustTyGamble.com, where I sell uh, my book, The Millennial Man from Darkness to Light. You'll also see my blog and my coaching services. Um, at the moment, I'm offering free consultations for anyone looking help in my health and life coaching programs. Um, these can be found also at my website, JustTyGamble.com. All you have to do is leave me a message. Um, tell me who you are, what you're looking for, and we'll make something happen. So generally, you'll be able to find me on my website or on Amazon as we can find everybody else nowadays. <laughs> True. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now, Ty. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ty Gamble, please visit his website, justtygamble.com slash pound. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.